Hello, this is Kat. And this is old racist Karen. <laughs> no, this is <laughs> this is Phoebe. We are feminine chaos. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was like that was a much uh more colorful kind of a, a dialect than I would have really anticipated from old racist Karen. It sounded a little bit like you were about to announce that you were gonna start panning for gold, or maybe that you found some. <laughs> well, I just I love the the words together old racist karen it just has a bit of a twang to it even though the karen in question um who we will be discussing it is not our coinage here to call her karen this is what she was referred to as in an article we we do not endorse we merely we're sharing not endorsing um yeah, I said this is gold. In fact, it's it's internet gold, as is so often the the topic. But yeah, this woman appears to have been, um, and I'm sure she still is Canadian on account of having written the word washroom in an email, which people who are not Canadian are not want to do. Ooh, here's a question: um, Is she does she still get to be Canadian, or will Justin Trudeau personally expel her from the country and revoke her citizenship after this? Well, given his own history of having worn blackface, <laughs> I don't know that he's in any position to do that. But if he does, but maybe that's the only way he can atone is for old. Now, where does one send old racist Karen? I assume south of the border. Yeah, we'll take her. Can she join the other old racist Karen? The other old racist Karens of America. On a commune. Mm-hmm. On a Karen commune. All right. So before we get too into the weeds here, uh, this is a story sourced from BlogTO, Blog Toronto, which is <laughs> something that you you unearthed. You sent me this. You did this. You did this to me. Did it. I have decided to um, be the official feminine chaos source for ridiculous Canadian news. And BlogTO tends to come through and specifically... This one writer at BlogTO who, um, in my old Twitter account, I think she followed me at one point. I was like, oh, no, what's she what's she doing? Um, Lauren O'Neill. And this is from three days ago, the travel section. The headline, old racist Karen caught typing complaints about black women on WestJet flight to Toronto. Okay. So every headline for like whatever SEO purposes or something has Toronto in it, I think. Um, anyway, it's the story of a man named Brady. No, it's the story of a flight from Grand Cayman to Toronto, wherein Caymanian-born singer song singer and songwriter Ms. Crizzy, okay, got into some kind of tiff with the person sitting next to her, who is who was named in the article. I'm not sure that I want to repeat this because of what we will talk about, the sort of privacy violation aspect. Basically, Nobody likes sitting next to somebody else on a flight. That's established in this blog TO article. That's, I would say, true. There was just some kind of awkwardness between the, the people sitting near each other. Nothing really happened. But basically, um, Ms. Crizzy saw this lady, old racist Karen, <laughs> typing an email um, on her phone in a very large font. So her sister filmed this film the typing of email and this all made its way to tiktok and to possibly other social media youtube and tiktok making the rounds she's gotten um miss chrissy has gotten a number of posts out of this you mm-hmm. know, good for her and she's not a famous person i just want to establish because i was not clear on this from the blog to thing she has i think something like 28 followers on twitter like miss chrissy as for old racist Karen, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, she, I don't know, maybe she'll blow up and become like a new uh, new right-wing TV personality. But okay, so um, more background on this before we start discussing it. I think that we we should read the email, th- this email that was um, filmed in the process of being written. And it's, I, I want to like linger for a moment on how long and how kind of pathetic this video is because it is 10 minutes of this woman's kind of like wizened arthritic hands. <laughs> the um, hands. And she Aww. like struggles, you know, struggles to, to you know, tap with one finger and, and a message. And and apparently some people found it. Okay, sorry. I, I know we're not telling this in the right order, but apparently some people believed that she was typing okay sorry this is from the blog to piece the woman had that's old racist karen being the woman the woman had no idea she was being recorded though some commenters suspect and there's a link to i guess these tiktok commenters uh she knew that the young women sitting next to her could see what she was writing given the font size and her complete lack of discretion Yes, the the large font size. Why why do you have a large font on your phone? Surely to advertise the contents of your phone to the people who you are sure are spying on it from two seats over. No, she's like eighty five years old. She can't see. You see her. You don't even just see her hand. The hand, you know, the hands always tell, as they say. But you you don't just see the hand. Like you see this woman in the video, in the TikTok video. She's not not a young woman. No. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the message that she typed took ten minutes to do this because, again, the wizened arthritic hands <laughs> says, "We are off. I am looking out the window. Other two seats are taken by two very large, dolled-up black ladies. One whom is extremely hostile. She makes Serena Williams look like Twiggy. I am being very pleasant just to annoy her. If I need to use a washroom, I'm going to present. I am really crippled and ask a steward to help me. And uh, this is." captioned this video which you know is like in real time watch watch for 10 minutes as this laborious email is typed it's titled my first racist encounter which i oh god i want to i want to talk all about that just the title alone but um is there anything else that we need to any other information we need to provide yes yes there is which is which is um okay Thank you for the inquiry. We are aware of the incident and are working diligently to better understand the events that transpired, said a spokesperson for WestJet to BlogTO on Friday. WestJet has a zero-tolerance policy against discrimination, and inclusivity is at the heart of everything we do. Okay, blah, blah, blah. It continues for maybe 10 minutes. No. Yeah, and then I guess one of the comments apparently was to the woman who posted to Ms. Chrissy for posting it was, you know, you're beautiful and she's jealous because she's dying. Oh, okay. Actually, I want to just dial back to the way that that information was presented because uh, thank you, blog to you, writer. What's her name? Her name is his old racist Lauren. No, 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 just kidding. It's it's old trolling Lauren O'Neill. I actually have no idea how old she is. Maybe young trolling Lauren O'Neill, maybe middle-aged trolling Lauren O'Neill, but top of her game trolling certainly um she describes this as quote the general sentiment of most people who've seen the original plane video you know you're beautiful (laughs) and she's jealous because she's dying that's a little dark for um, to be most people's general sentiment in response to this um she also called the woman an insufferable racist cunt and when you say she you mean you're you're talking about lauren o'neill not ms chrissy who Whatever the, this is not somebody who was personally 
there on this WestJet flight. Yeah, no, no. This was a, this is a journalist, yeah. um, you know, waking up every morning as a journalist does to call an elderly stranger an insufferable racist cunt, as one does. I mean, I, I do that in my journalism, you know, multiple times per week. Yes. So I went from thinking about the content of the emails to then just quickly switching back to my original thought, which is, should I even be privy to this email? You know what I mean? Like, unless the email of a stranger when you're outside says, like, I'm going to blow up this plane. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm trying to think under which circumstances it would be okay or even admirable to be alerting the broader public to the contents of somebody's private message that you just happen to be privy to. And not even spoken unless something somebody's writing on their phone. And it, the stakes to me would be pretty high. Because, like, I'm just trying to picture if I were on a plane and somebody was like, this enormously obese Jewish woman is sitting near me in reference to me, right? Because that seems to have been part of the issue was a perceived fat shaming, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I mean, is it shaming if you're if you're not actually shaming the person? I mean, if, you know, you're you're describing them third person in an unflattering way, but like, well, that's I don't the know. thing. No, I, but I mean, like, if I saw that, I'm think I'm trying to picture how I would react if I saw that, and I feel like I could imagine like texting somebody I knew about it, I cannot in a million years imagine publicizing it because it just wouldn't feel like public information, something that somebody did like that, you know, like if you're writing something down and you're writing it in a big font because you're clearly like 500 years old, I mean, it just seems like this is clearly somebody sending a private message. And even if you don't like the contents of that private message, it is a private message. And yeah, I don't know that that to me. And then that is a separate question from whether the contents of this email were racist, but even just like assuming that the contents of the email were not this plane is, you know, I'm about to hijack it and fly it into a monument, you know, like I think assuming it's just somebody saying some things to somebody they know. Yeah, I don't know that that to me seems like more relevant than the content of the email, you know, yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing that's interesting to me about this, um, and this is kind of a, a broader observation, but there's not like even, despite the way that it's being described as quote a racist encounter, um, there's not really like even so much as a whiff of pretense of the victim of said alleged racism having been harmed in any way by like having experienced having witnessed over this woman's shoulder like a message being typed in which she was referred to in perhaps like less than flattering terms and instead like the sentiment that really is kind of present throughout this not just on the part of Miss Krizy but also the person who decided to amplify this and turn it into a national news story and like dox the old lady is um just like opportunistic glee it really reminds me of uh, I mean like in the era of um, of like high school note writing, when like, you know, you might be writing a note and um, somebody would grab the note and they would like unearth whatever, you know, private thing you'd written in there and they would like read it aloud to everybody. Like maybe you were, maybe you had written that you had a crush on somebody and they're like, oh, I'm going to tell everyone. We, it's like, okay, like you're actually the jerk here. Like this is an opportunistic kind yeah. of a bullying behavior. Um, and this like this excitement at getting to out this woman for thinking bad thoughts like there there's something about that that i find really like unsavory yeah yeah i mean i i think there are ooh, there are so many levels here so there's the choice to 
you know, post about this, but there's also the choice to sort of journalistically write about it and in an, and in an uncritical way, you know, cause I think it's noteworthy that this happened and I don't feel any qualms in us talking about it because we're, you know, like picking it apart cause it's sort of how we live now kind of thing, but to just sort of uncritically say, look at this, you know, social justice act of, you know, tearing down old racist Karen, that's a choice. And to me, that seems like a less sort of sympathetic one than if you're in the situation where somebody sitting near you on a plane is saying something that you feel, you know, touchy about. And I almost think that, so my hunch, and this is purely going by hunch, is that Ms. Krizzy did not like being called big, which, you know, a lot of women wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, you know, it's probably, you know, we all live in the same society, more or less, you know, whatever, I, I get that. And probably took offense at that probably, you know, knows the culture well enough to realize that calling this a racist incident is different from calling it a sizist incident, or, you know, just a sort of incident, <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because and I, the reason I say this, my hunch is based on the fact that she seems to have responded by posting a lot of selfies. And sort of pleas for attention of the visual sort, like, look at me, look what I look like. I'm not big. I'm pretty, you know. And yeah, you know, yeah. Now I have no critiques of this woman's physical appearance. That, that's not, you know, what this is about. But yeah, um, that seems to be a bit what's going on. But what I'm saying is, in a long-winded way, is that I can understand being touchy, even if I can't, even if it's not how I would have responded in that type of situation. It's very different to be, you know, a journalist choosing to support this you know than being the person who was felt who felt insulted you know what I mean like I think I'm more annoyed at Lauren O'Neill than I am at Ms. Krizzy here even if they're both in the wrong I think it's different one of these people you know elevated this to like the level of national news and and had a professional obligation to be kind of I mean, at least a little bit thoughtful about what she was doing before she did it which I think she abundantly failed in doing um, and, and like the other thing too is, um, I don't know, the tone of this article is so strange because in addition to referring to the old lady as an insufferable racist cunt, I'm just going to keep saying that over and over because, oh my God, um, she also like spends an enormous amount of time kind of editorializing about how like beautiful and noble and wonderful Miss Krizzy is like you know this is not really being presented in that kind of view from nowhere sort of a thing and it's not really a moral clarity either it's like it's like beautiful damsel maligned by repulsive troll now repulsive hag do you think troll. do you think Lauren O'Neill is a white or at least white presenting blonde woman or do you think she is you know a woman who physically resembles Miss Crizzy I'm gonna guess the former the former um, the and- former would be the answer yes I am just confirming okay. this on Twitter where one does. Yeah. So I think this is, uh, I, but I don't read this so much as like trying to be on the right team for the, you know, social justice, blah, blah, blah. I see this as much more like trolling and I would not be at all surprised if she would like take a different stance the next day to get clicks. And mm, I wonder, so here's the, the one thing about this and the reason why I guessed that the author of this was probably a white woman. So here's a section detailing Krizzy's reaction in the aftermath of this. 
Chrissy, for her part, is keeping it classy and using her newfound viral fame to poke fun at the ridiculousness of what the racist woman was typing. A bombshell by any standard, the fit young woman can be seen in a post dancing around her kitchen, inspiring comments from TikTokers who saw the plane video, like, I can't believe she said very large. I would kill for a body like yours. So there's something happening here that I think is... More than just um, I'm elevating this story to the level of news, there's this like almost fetishizing thing. And, and I, I'm very aware of this as a thing that white women, you know, of a certain, um, I'm not going to say age, but like more like social class uh, tend to do where, you know, they kind of fall over themselves to compliment like the physique or the style, you know, anything that's that's kind of coded as like culturally specific to black people oh my gosh the replies sometimes you see this on twitter where there will be some kind of thing where a prominent black woman will like shoot down the stupid remark of whoever you know interlocutor with three followers you know like the the famous sort of like twitter clapback phenomenon not unique to black Mm -hmm. women everybody's clapping back on twitter all the time but then you get these kind of like obsequious replies from white women, like cheering on the black woman to sort of show that they're not racist, like whoever, you know, or that they're not um, stupid and that, and sort of aloof in that same way. Do you know, ha- have you ever seen this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, this thing of being like, you know, yes, queen, yes, that yeah. whole thing. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely a phenomenon. Yeah. So that, um, that also, I think is a bit going on here now. Was this racist? Now, I don't know why the whole pretend to be a cripple to go to the washroom. I just didn't entirely follow. Did you? Because like I tried to make sense of what this even meant. And I just started to think this is just somebody rambling a little bit. Like they don't they there was a bad vibe between these people on the plane as for why yeah, I don't maybe, know. Maybe maybe she felt like, you know, there was going to be resentment if she had to get up and 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 climb over cuz she's in the window seat. She would have had to get up and climb over these women to get out to use the restroom. And, you know, I I certainly I'm trying to think like I mean, I always am sitting by the window on airplanes and so like I've definitely had experiences where like I have to get up and pee and there's definitely a sense that the person that I'm having to like climb over to go and do that is not happy that this is the case. And, you know, I don't know. I suppose that if I had like already had a bad interaction with this person and I was experiencing a certain amount of anxiety about like the impending unpleasantness, should I have to get up and pee, then maybe I would be planning to do it. Or maybe she's just like... Maybe she's just like talking about something that she often talks about with the person that she's texting and it's actually kind of a non sequitur, doesn't have anything to do with her seatmates at all. It's really impossible to know. It is impossible to know. I think that that's really key. And that's the thing about private messages is that they, um, you know, you don't have a context. The only reason to think race entered into it at all was the use of black, right? To say Mm -hmm. that the black women were identified as being black women, which... I don't know. To me, that seems like a lot to kind of hinge something on. And then I was again trying to picture like if I were somewhere and somebody said, look, this Jewish woman, blah, blah, blah. And I think what's different there is that, you know, Jewishness is like a quasi uh, physical, quasi, what's the word? Um, Quasi visible 
something like that, right? It's not always, so it, there would be, if somebody like knows that I'm Jewish and, you know, on the one hand, okay, like, <laughs> you know, they, they live in the world and they're not completely out of it, they might know that. But like, if there would be something maybe, maybe plausibly like, hmm, why are they pointing this out? How do they even think they know this? Whatever. I think it's different with like black versus white, where it's just like, these are just assessments people make of who other people are all the time without it being considered troubling to have figured out that the person sitting next to you is black or white, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same category of descriptor as large, for, for better or for worse. You know, the idea is like, you know, is she assessing this as something negatively racially coded or whatever? And I mean, I suppose there is a question of, um, would she have been more sympathetic um or more friendly had her seatmates been like all other things being equal had they been white ladies you know who were very like dolled up and uh ample of bosom and butt or whatever Um, (laughs) well no but if it was a white lady with a big butt that's problematic (laughs) right right that's racist in and of itself you're not supposed to have that yeah (laughs) i guess before we forget and before we move on to any other topic and i say this only partly because i'm writing something about this um that's yeah i want to say not out yet but it's not written yet i've just started um is it ageist is all of it is it ageist cat do you think to say old racist karen will be dead soon (laughs) or is this even a quite like i I don't even feel like this is an is it ageist this is just like this is just i don't even know where to begin like I mean, I think we got a Robin D'Angelo this one, you know, or a variation thereof. Um, it, the question is not, is it ageist? It's how did ageism present itself in this scenario? I mean, it's just too much, right? Like this, you know, this woman is old. So she's typing, you know, in a big font because she's old. She's, you know, not tech savvy. She's, again, quite old. She you know, she doesn't capitalize black in her email also, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, where was her copy editor? This message she was sending from a plane. Yeah, I don't know. It, to me, this just seemed like it sets a really bad precedent. And also it makes, sorry to say this about my city, but it does not make Toronto look very with the time. So I feel like the whole Karen shaming thing had its moment. And this feels a little dated, to be honest. It feels like a little grasping at a type of content that had its day, you know, like the Karen videos. Yeah, that's what's really most offensive about it is that it's so 2020. Yes, it is so 2020 to um, Karen shame for clicks. And yeah, I mean, of course, it's ageist, but it's like ageist in such a sort of shameless way, because it's not about a middle aged woman. It's about a really elderly woman. And it's not, you know, like, oh, you know, I wouldn't hit that. It's like this woman's just like. 800 years old and using a big font you know yeah i really think that this is actually where you know had this woman not been as elderly as she is i i think that this would have been received very differently but the fact that you you could credibly say like well she is dying like that that was the point at which it was you should have realized if you're the writer of this that you have made a misstep you know you've made an error in judgment like you've you've gone a little bit too far in trying to cast somebody as a villain who is instead now because you decided to take it this far coming off as sympathetic 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's why I, again, sort of come down on the side of this is to get clicks rather than this is an earnest attempt at achieving social justice through trolling. I think this is genuinely like trying to, you know, squeeze out those last drips of Karen content before um, before it's just too passe even for local Toronto news. Um yeah. So anyway, that was that was old. That's the tale of old racist Karen. Yeah. Um, I have one more thing to say about this, which is just just to just to pull out uh, yet another kind of social justice aphorism. I genuinely think, you know, irrespective of what we might conclude about this being intentional trolling or not, that intent doesn't actually matter <laughs> in this case. It just really doesn't. This was a lousy thing to do. Oh, sure. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, I just mean in terms of like making sense of how to classify it. I think it's wrong, however um, you classify it. But I guess I just wonder like whether I think it's useful to understand whether this is like people imagining that they're on the right side of history or all that, or whether they're just trying to get clicks. I think it matters just in terms of like assessing the culture and like where things are at. Um, I don't think it matters in terms of like laying blame because I think I think Lauren O'Neill Jacques either way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about the? Can we can we segue on to um, instead of old racist Karen, young socialist COVID? <laughs> Does that yeah, make any sense? Yeah. You know, everything's falling apart, mm-hmm. <laughs> including that segue. It was a good attempt. I couldn't have done a better one. This was a Twitter drama. You followed it in real time. I didn't follow a Twitter drama in real time. How I find the time, I don't even know. But someone who I'd never heard of, who's apparently socialistic persuasion, um, per her bio, Mindy Isser. Um, And I followed her just, just, just before she locked down her account because of trolls. So I'm still, you know, one of the uh, 25,000 close personal friends of this person um, who, per her bio, is socialist union enthusiast, lazy writer, mom, hot takes are just my own, okay, blah, 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 in, located in Philadelphia. Okay, so she, Mindy, um, put a pretty reasonable, I thought, made a pretty reasonable, I thought, tweet about basically saying, like, she doesn't think COVID is over. She just doesn't understand like what the point is of kind of fear mongering about if you get it a bunch of times, like you're going to, your body is destroyed and all of this because like, you know, what are you going to do <laughs> kind of? Um, and I thought that seemed like a fair point. And I see people doing this type of fear mongering online and all the time. And yeah, I thought it was valuable, especially coming from somebody who's clearly like in that milieu where, you know, like, in whichever bubble I'm in, there are a few people posting things like that, but it's not sort of the default. So um, yeah, it seems like she's coming from whichever world where uh, you are not allowed to say that. And you would think that's a pretty like banal thing to say. Like I thought it was a good point. I also didn't think it was like an earth shattering one, but whoa, did the replies. Yeah. Interesting replies this got. Um, Yes. Were people mad online? They, They were mad online. Oh, they, they, I think they were more than mad. Um, this was one of these, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible. Like I almost exactly a year ago, actually, um, I 
tweeted something not dissimilar to this where I said, like, assuming COVID is now endemic, how do we move forward in such a way where uh, people who don't feel comfortable yet like resuming normal life or given all of the support that they need but you know we we stop that short of allowing them to police the behavior of those who are ready to like you know resume normal life and this was apparently like not a question that uh was permissible to ask at that time i really um received a, a hell of a dragging online even though i think that it was a valid thing to be asking about. <laughs> um, yes yes but you know, there's something. So one of the things that I kind of keep coming back to is all of the, I don't know how else to describe it apart from fear mongering or like kind of catastrophizing about how like we're in for a mass disabling event because every time you get COVID is going to be like exponentially worse than the time before. And, you know, a cumulative risk um, is like expounding with every exposure. I mean, completely apart from whether or not this is a useful way to talk about a virus that is, in fact, endemic and is not going anywhere. I also think that it's kind of fundamentally at odds with the way biology actually works. And I don't know if you can fact check me on this, but like, no, (laughs) like the whole thing, the reason that COVID was such a danger in its initial introduction was that it was a novel virus, which is to say that it was a virus nobody's immune system had encountered before. And so, you know, that first wave, you had a lot of people getting sick with a bug that they didn't know how to fight off, that their immune system had no experience with. And so, you know, that, that was why we had such like massive waves of hospitalization and death. But as you encounter the same virus moving forward in your life and it's no longer novel you get it for your second or fifth or tenth time your immune system recognizes what you have it's like ah yeah i know this fucking guy (laughs) you know and it's like i can fight it off more easily because you know there's like immune memory there i hope so i would hope so and that is how it's gone for me personally with my ten (laughs) thousand attempts at fighting off covid this is how it works with viruses. I mean, and like, and thank God it does because it allows us to share a planet with them without just having long since gone extinct. Um, but I, yeah, so there, there's that. It's, it's not just the investment in, you know, in keeping people scared, but in kind of intentionally misunderstanding the science, like not following the science, um, you know, yeah. vomiting in the face of the science. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just, oh, I, I think what seems to happen is there's this understandable sense, especially, you know, like among people who are, you know, old enough to vividly remember prior to the pandemic, right, which would be most people, um, of thinking like, oh, how terribly unfair it is that there didn't used to be this, you know, new virus and now there is. If only we could just make it so that we're not the case. I share that view. I think it's awful that there's a new virus, but there is, you know, and then the question is, what do you do with that information? And do you just, you know, never leave the house again? Is that not without its own risks, right? So I think what seems to happen is that there's this like this impulse to somehow get, if you get angry in the right direction, this has been the case since like, I literally wrote something about this, like that spring of 2020 for, I believe, Arc Digital possibly about like supermarkets and the whole kind of 
culture of like shaming people for going too much to the supermarket or too often and hoarding or whatever it was. And everybody was doing it wrong. And the thing to do was to figure out who was the Karen, you know, and I'm not even talking about like Karen in the sense of a racist, but like Karen in the sense of, you know, doing the wrong sort of grocery shopping. And this was this thing at the very start of the pandemic is that you were making it worse by grocery shopping wrong. And people were just grasping at something because it just seemed also unfair and unfathomable and all that. The thing is, I think at this point, it seems to really manifest itself a lot as, um, okay, so partly as fury at this particular socialist on Twitter, who people have gone through her archives and, and they found out, they found a tweet where she mentions like, a restaurant like going to a restaurant or something and it's like wow well well spot and then she's like yes I, I sometimes go to a restaurant um yeah wasn't this in like in like December of 2022 which is to say like a month ago she was trying yes. to organize a dinner at a restaurant for like a large number of people yeah you're allowed to do that I just <laughs> I guess not if you're not if you're a socialist, but like, you know, they're supposed to be so big on collective action. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it just it seemed all so there's that. But then there's also this thing. And this is what I wrote about um, that I've been kind of obsessed with for a while. Um, I don't know if anybody else shares this obsession, but this obsession with trying to figure out who gave you COVID um, where people and I don't mean like speculating about it, because I think that's perfectly normal to be like, "Hmm, I wonder where I got this, you know, but like assuming that you can figure out which person through their failings gave you COVID. And this is just like, you, you see this now all the time. And still, even though there's so much knowledge about that, it's just like in the air and everybody's giving it and getting it at all times. And then I just, the reason I had to write about this for my newsletter was because of somebody who had tweeted in this person's replies first with a shrug emoji, um, seemingly made to have the right coloring to match the avatar which is also a cartoon of the person who made the post anyway um so dark hair pale skin much like me i don't i don't judge okay anyway i also need human contact but a i'm happy to wear a good mask during most of that contact b if i get covid i want it to be from good friend family sorry good slash friend family with interaction that contributed meaningfully to my life not random person okay that is actually like if you scratch the surface of that that is an unfathomably privileged perspective it's like i'm gonna opt out of society except for um because i mean that is how covid spreads like it's yes. by people engaged in in a functional society anytime well sure yeah so there's the, pri- the privilege angle i think here is you don't really like have to dig for it. And it does come up every time people talk about this, that like essential workers, anybody who works outside the home, you know, (laughs) and also anybody with like small children who go to school, whatever, you know, like basically anybody who can't avoid getting COVID all the time from wherever, you know, is not in a position to do that. Right. So there's class privilege. There's also just like specific circumstances privilege, you know, right. so it's like just yeah. offloading your risk. To, you know, you, you have the privilege of offloading your risk, except in cases where you think it's worth it to people right. who don't get to make that distinction. Right. So there's that. That certainly um, comes up. But then just like even just aside, even talking about only like the subset of people who have this option this idea that you would know who gave it to you and who, you know, it just, you don't know this. And I think the people who are like, I think there are people who are genuinely shut-ins and if they got COVID, 
they would know that it was from the service worker who delivered their, you know, monthly, you know, grocery order, whatever, because there would be no other possibility or unless it's the vent in their apartment or something. But I think most people, my theory, again, not backed up (laughs) by anything, is that the people who have this approach do absolutely socialize, interact, whatever, but they think that it's different when they do it. And they have some kind of thing going in their head where it's, um, where it's different, you know, like where, where they couldn't have a germ, the people they like couldn't have a germ, but like, it makes me think of that other thing that I think we had been DMing about where somebody had posted some wedding invitation or wedding website about like that the staff would Would be in masks. Yes. Would be in masks. And obviously the guests would, and it just seems like, yeah, it's got a bit of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, But I wanted to talk about, so like, it was interesting to kind of be watching this particular, like online controversy unfold, um, in tandem with watching uh, this new HBO show called The Last of Us. Is this something that you've seen at all? I have not. I have not. Okay. Um, I'm super into this show. And I want to talk about well, I want to talk about one specific part of it for a second, but I also just want to kind of broadly recommend it um, because it is, uh, so it's new on HBO. It's based on a video game. I don't play video games, um, but I do love any kind of apocalypse storyline of any kind. And so I was very excited when they decided to take this story and uh, reproduce it in a format that I actually was interested in watching. One of the really interesting things about this is that it's um, it's technically like a, a viral apocalypse, but it's but it's not a viral apocalypse. It's a fungal apocalypse, which <laughs> among better. other things, you know, if you've watched The Walking Dead, you know, the whole like kind of zombie construct and you can only do uh, different kinds of decaying bodies so many times before it just becomes rote. The cool thing <laughs> about a fungus is that the opportunities for innovative creature design are just like off the wall amazing and the look of this show and of the monsters in it because it is a fungus uh it's just oh it's so so i want to see this now yeah visually like just stunning so there is that but the thing that i have kind of gotten fixated on um and this is something that is not unique to the last of us but they do a very good job of it every time you have a storyline um that is aimed at kind of illustrating the social or the societal impact of one of these sort of world ending events where society decides to reorganize itself around the priority of of preventing infection you get one of these scenes and it's almost a trope at this point and the way that they do it in the last of us is um you have a, a child uh, 20 years after the uh, fungal apocalypse kind of stumbles out of the ruins of Boston and is scooped up by whatever authority figures are left. And then you have this scene. The child is sitting in a chair. Um, there's a lady soldier talking to the kid and like, you know, being really sweet and smiley and saying like, oh, you know, like, what's your name? How are you feeling? Like, I'm just going to process you. And then like, I'm going to take you for pancakes or whatever, like, I have all your favorite foods. You're going to get new toys. And behind the kid, you have uh, another soldier, the child can't see, is scanning the kid's skull and the device he's holding turns red and he holds it up behind the kid. So the woman talking to the kid can see it. The kid cannot. Woman registers 
that this device is showing red and uh you know she doesn't blink like nothing about her demeanor changes she's just like okay we're gonna give you a little shot and then like and then we're gonna go have pancakes um and then of course the next scene is this child's lifeless body being thrown into a mass grave along with everybody else who was found to be infected Oh, that sounds too awful. I don't think I could watch a show like that. Yeah, but I mean, this is like, it, it's always like this. Like, it's it's yeah. basically like a trope. And the whole point, the whole, whole point of this is to illustrate that when you decide to reorganize your society around the priority of avoiding infection and stopping the spread of a disease, you end up becoming monsters yourselves. You end up doing absolutely inhuman, horrible things. And I don't know, it's just like, it's, it's been very interesting as we enter our what fourth year, uh, you know, is what we're coming into of the pandemic. How many people don't seem to recognize the way in which, you know, in less dramatic fashion, we inevitably kind of go down that road when we start trying to, for instance, pinpoint the one individual who gave you COVID. And it's like, it's Mm -hmm. always going to be, it's probably not going to be the person who actually did it. What you're going to remember is somebody who had the misfortune to be symptomatic in your presence, even though it was probably the person who was not yet symptomatic, who actually infected you. Sure. I mean, I don't even know if it's symptomatic so much as like, I think it often is this kind of class thing of like this assumption, and it won't even necessarily be wrong that somebody who deals a lot, you know, in their job with the public might, you know, have a contagious disease, right? You know, it just becomes this kind of self-reinforcing thing. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think it's all so frustrating and ridiculous. And I can't believe people are still trying to figure out um, who gave them COVID because, yep, you know, I sneezed once and that, you know, spread it everywhere. For that, I apologize. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, like a way to approach this, like a healthy concept of the entire virus is for us all to accept that not only have we received COVID from someone, uh, we have also in all likelihood given it to someone. Yeah, yeah. Except the really, really, really sanctimonious people on Twitter, they are never infectious. Yes, they, they have only ever received but not given. That's right. It is better to receive. Do we have time for our third topic? Yeah, you have a lot to say about this, or you have more to say about it than I do. I have a little to say. It's more just kind of a plug for an article I thought was interesting, whether or not everybody agrees with it. Um, Yeah, so Tressie McMillan-Cottom in the New York Times, uh, sociologist and New York Times columnist, wrote about blondness and... But specifically, and this is maybe where things come full circle, about a falling out with some TikTok blondes. So lest you think that feminine chaos is always on the side of the blonde, if the old lady, old Karen was blonde, I don't, kind of, maybe, I don't even know if that's relevant. Um, Yeah, so I would be um, on a different team, you know, identity basis wise on in this one where I would be on team Professor Macmillan Cottom on this, not on the team of the people who uh, of the blondes who had her hounded off TikTok briefly and then she was reinstated. I guess basically, I mean there's a lot in this essay, which we should put, I guess, into the show notes, but basically um she's talking about blondness as rather than just a hair color, sort of a cultural construct and um 
how specifically, and this is what I thought was interesting, how people understand sort of like natural blondness to almost extend to like if you were blonde as a child. Now, what complicates this is if you were blonde as a child, then that is a trait you are going to personally associate with youth as in like your youth. So it's like if you're trying to look younger, which, you know, is not really a race thing so much as an age thing. And you, yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, this idea of what blondness all means in society. I don't know that this will be like the last word on it. I think lots of people probably have weighed in, will weigh in on the topic. Um, yeah, that's, that's about all I have. I don't know that I'm exactly filled with (laughs) riveting observations, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I liked this article less than, uh, it seems like pretty much everybody else did. I, stop that you know it's it seemed like a lot of people found it very like winston winston apparently really liked this article and doesn't want me to talk badly about it i was gonna say winston's the only one who agreed with you no i I had no idea he could read um maybe he uh maybe he he himself was a natural blonde no he he was brown at birth and then he kind of silvered out but anyway um you know i thought that i don't know Partly, it it seems to me like this was an example of somebody having had an online beef that they were then given the opportunity to elevate into like a form of of cultural commentary in the pages of the most prestigious newspaper in the country in a way that seemed to me maybe like not especially deserved. I wasn't I wasn't necessarily persuaded that she had such interesting things to say about this that, you know, she deserved to have the last word in the New York Times. But um, the other thing was the construct of this as though it was like thoughtful sociologist versus vapid TikTokers, I guess did kind of needle me a little bit. I felt like that was a bit of a false dichotomy. And also I felt that it wasn't hard if you kind of watched the the origin video in which she's basically like talking about these individual people in public and talking about their hair in public. Um, it seemed to me that she was attempting to turn into a sociological debate, something that was to these people like she's talking about their physical appearance. So I understand why this was not well received. And I don't think it's because, or I I should say, I don't think it's just because she's so smart and so intellectual and like so much more thoughtful and interesting on this topic than the blondes of TikTok are. I don't know. I mean, yeah, perhaps we agree to disagree on this one, or perhaps we find a mud pit somewhere between our respective homes and just always with the mud pit (laughs) i think there needs to be a mud pit whenever there's any because mainly we agree on things and it's rare that we have these like different takes on something yeah but like you know between our respective homes is a january and you want us to go and fight in the mud like in lake erie i'm not yeah okay we're not okay fair enough so no mud no mud will be have a a nice bottle of wine and just talk about it that sounds preferable (laughs) i think that sounds preferable and then maybe go get a balayage yeah, yeah. I I haven't had one of those in a long time. Nor have I, nor have I. Um This is a hair thing, not a sex thing, by the way. <laughs> That's right. Yes, indeed. Um <laughs> and it's also a sex thing. It's like yeah. the dirtiest, you know, it's it's worse than a plumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is um yeah. 
I think this has probably been feminine chaos. It's it's been feminine chaos. I mean, do you want to offer any any final thoughts on why you liked the article before we adjourn to the mud pit? Sure. I do think that this idea of blondness as natural is interesting, especially when you consider like very, very, very few adults are blonde naturally. But this idea that it's somehow more natural, like because she has some line in the article that's like saying, I bet saying where she says something like, I bet you're picturing as a blonde, you're picturing Reese Witherspoon and not Beyonce. Now, I was, as I wrote about in the Canadian Jewish News, um, where I work and wrote a post about this, um, I was picturing more somebody like Madonna or maybe even like Marilyn Monroe, you know, somebody who kind of like is like known as a blonde, but not naturally. But yeah, I do think there is something to this idea that um, natural blondness as kind of means something that kind of extends to like, like I've known women who like consider it that they're sort of enhancing their blondness rather than that they're dyeing their hair with the same peroxide as anybody else might, you know? Um, Yeah. And I think there's something interesting there. And I think it probably is the, you know, I, I guess so that's one thing. But the other thing is that I didn't really get the sense that she was saying like, I'm a serious sociologist and these people are idiots. However, where I agree with you um, is that I do think there's something that's always a little iffy about, like, I assume that this video, the initial one was just sort of like random people talking online. And yeah, I think whenever it's random people, you do kind of end up in roughly the same situation as um, old the old racist Karen story where like people are, I mean, not it's not quite to that degree, but where people are just kind of, you know, minding their business and to... You know, I think this is why there's, it's often a good idea if you're going to, you know, use an individual case to analyze, to go with like fiction, to go with, you know, not naming the people or like linking to their accounts or whatever. But I don't know. I also did not pay that much attention to that original video and do not know whether these people are in fact extremely famous. They're not, right? Or are they? I'm not a TikTok person. I I don't understand it well enough to, to weigh in on that. I'm too much in the generation of old racist Karen to know what a TikTok is. So <laughs> I'm going to just confess you know, to him. Just, well, here, just pick up your phone and with your wizened arthritic hands <laughs> okay. to, for 10 minutes, tap out what is TikTok into askjeeves.com. You need to use like... <laughs> By the time I'm done, my hair will be blonde because I'm clearly at this very moment sitting at the hair salon and oh, I thought um, you were gonna say by the time you're done it's gonna be gray <laughs> or maybe or maybe you'll actually be dead <laughs> <laughs> anything's possible it's a race against time on that extremely uplifting note um do you have anything else no, no. I got nothing. okay it has it has been feminine chaos okay. uh yeah if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to support our podcast and hear more conversations like it, please join us at femchaospod.substack.com, where for $5 a month, you can receive access to two exclusive subscribers-only episodes per month, our entire back catalog of prior episodes, and a community of like-minded chaos lovers where you can comment, hang out in open threads, and generally make merry. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.